Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast, episode number 99. With Irene Lyon, who teaches the world leaders and coaches how to work with the nervous system to heal trauma and live full and productive lives. To date, her online programs have reached people in over 63 countries, and Irene clearly has a knack for making complex information easy for all of us to understand and apply to our lives, which is exactly the type of person I'm always looking for on this podcast. My name is Andrea Samadhi, and if you're new here, I'm a former educator who created this podcast to bring the most current neuroscience research along with high-performing experts who've risen to the top of their field with specific strategies or ideas that you can implement immediately, whether you're an educator or in the corporate space, to take your results to the next level. Welcome, Irene. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today as we're approaching our 100th episode. And we were just talking, we're both uh, Canadians. I'm from Toronto, and you're in what part of of Vancouver? You're in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Well, it's so nice to talk with someone yeah. it feels like from from home in my home yeah, country. Great. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, I've always been looking for people who can take complex concepts and explain them so we can use them in our daily lives. And so when I saw your work, I thought I've got to reach out. Uh, before we get to the questions, can you explain yeah. exactly what you do as a nervous system specialist and somatic neuroplasticity expert? Yeah, maybe it, some of your, your mentors along the yeah, way. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's sort of been a, an evolution. I started out um, <clears throat> in private practice, working with people one-on-one. Um, my background background is in exercise science and biomedical science and health science. So I did kind of the sciencey things and worked in fitness and in rehabilitation, like physical rehabilitation in my twenties. And then I kind of got bored with that, I will admit, and um, had some of my own injuries to heal. So it was some of my own uh, healing that led me to um, the first sort of neuroplastic form of work, which was or is, I should say, the Feldenkrais method. Um, and that really opened my eyes to the potential of relearning, rewiring. You know, it used to be that people would think that if you had a stroke or a spinal injury, that that was it, just, you know, lay down in bed and, until you die. And we know that's not true. For a lot of those injuries, they can be recovered, but they have to be recovered with this um, this lens, if you will, to the potential of adding new patterns and new pathways to the body. Like we need to be activated and stimulated as humans to grow and and basically keep going in a thriving way. So I fell into that stuff out of my own need. So I am a Feldenkrais practitioner by trade. And then I got into that work and um, was in private practice teaching group uh, classes at the local rec center with all the hardcore skiers and all the people like me because I was into all that. And um, what was interesting, this is about in 2008, um, I was seeing over the course of a summer all these people that weren't getting better with this amazing Feldenkrais work, Hmm. which is still amazing work. And I kind of was like, well, what am I missing now? You know, the fitness world and exercise physical therapy world wasn't enough. The Feldenkrais world was beautiful for me and about 50% of my clients. But then there's this other subset and I'm just not getting into their systems. And it was as if they couldn't sense or feel. And so that led me to the somatic experiencing work, which was founded by Peter Levine, mm-hmm. whom is a gentleman um, in the United States. He's still alive um, at this point, and he's older. And he discovered that um, us humans in our kind of construct of civilization, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. we do not um, heal and naturally emit trauma responses. So we have a stress We just hold it all in, you know, I'm being very general here. So Mm -hmm. I learned about that um, and I'm simplifying because we'll probably get into the deeper aspects as we dive in. And it just blew my mind open to this nervous system, to this 
capacity for us to heal at even this deeper level at the nervous system level, the autonomic nervous system level. And so I studied that. I got really in depth into that. I studied with some of the top trainers in that realm because Peter's not the only one. There's lots of others at his level. And um, I was in private practice. So to answer your question, I was working with people one-on-one with touch, with movement, cognitive, feeling, sensing, processing emotions, processing accidents, allowing the body to do what it maybe couldn't do when it was under attack or under injury or pre pre um, verbal in in utero trauma. I mean, it just goes down this whole Mm -hmm. pathway. Um, And then I realized that private practice, while it was great, it wasn't enough. So I always liken it to if you I don't know if you've ever learned a second language as an adult. Andrea, have you ever done that? I tried a little bit of Spanish and this the tapes are still in my drawer. Yeah, it was hard. Hard. Exactly. And so this is a common thing is if you we as adults want to learn a second language that isn't the mother tongue that we didn't hear, you know, in mama's womb and growing up, it isn't going to happen in one hour a week. Right. We just know that we need to immerse, we need to learn, we need to write, we need to listen, we need to see the moving lips, Mm -hmm. we need to go into cultures that speak that language. Mm -hmm. That's the only way we're going to become 100% fluent like we are with, say, English. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed was that I loved working with my clients, but it was as if we were just doing that one hour of language work a week, you know, to use that analogy. And so I would have, you know, my pencil and paper in hand with them sitting at my desk before we would even do the real work. But I I had to show them and draw them diagrams and break down the branches and say, so when you had this accident, this is what happened. And you're storing that somewhere in your system. And I can't tell you exactly where because the system is so clever. Mm-hmm. But when we start working, if you feel a sensation here or there, don't just imagine it's not real. Like, let me know, because that actually might be the entry point into working with that old trauma, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the work, Andrea, is very subtle. It kind of is boring. It's like watching paint dry because we're rewiring things that, that should have been wired in early in life and maybe didn't. Got it. So I then from there um, started to develop uh, homework for my clients and audio exercises and just all these practices so that they could do them not when they were with me. Mm-hmm. And um, slowly over the course of a few years, all those those resources amassed and I tweaked and polished and did new ones into online programs and courses. Mm-hmm. So now um, I'm not in private practice anymore. Um, I do do some group work when we can travel and be with people. Um, Mm -hmm. And the primary bulk of my business and how I work with those 63 countries that you mentioned at the beginning Mm -hmm. is through these online programs. So people are literally learning how to have this language of their nervous system, being with their body, their sensations, um, and I teach at a pretty deep level in these courses. I don't hold back. I don't, you know, handhold and, and, and dumb it down. We go right into what I learned in my trainings. Oh, so, this is powerful. And then that, that's a first broad stroke. Well, suite. it's deep. And, and when <laughs> I went to your website, you do walk us through. When you go to the About You section, you walk through everything you've just said there, how you yeah. had your injury that brought you to... And tell me again, how, because I'm not going to say it. Feldenkrais, Feldenkrais. Got it. I looked it up just to to see what it was, like healing mind with the body. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you do have a clear process of how you got to where you are. And it all makes sense, which is, it's powerful because most of us, you've gone through all these years, all these experiences stack up. And when you've had such powerful learning experiences, it makes sense to teach it to others. And the best way is with online courses. So I love what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's kind of like when we started, cause it's been about six years, you know, very intensely that I'd say the last four, but when we first started, it was kind of this like weird thing. 
like you're doing what? Like that's, and I was hit with a lot of um, critique from Mm -hmm. colleagues and even my mentors, not all of them, you know, but some of them were like that you can't do that. Like, well, who says I can't, you know, let's try because this is how you innovate. You try different things and it's not for everyone. Like if someone is severely, severely unwell, and they need human contact, like severe abuse, neglect, like mm-hmm. left in a, you know, in a room mm-hmm. with no contact in the dark, which sadly does happen, and they don't have the ability to even speak or address themselves, then that severe kind of situation, then yes, this isn't going to be for that person. They need one-on-one contact and real medical help and psychological help. But if someone is listening to this or watching this and they can buy their own food and take care of themselves at the most basic level, this level of learning is hundred percent possible. It hope absolutely that makes, hope that makes sense. It does. And you know, when I posted every, every time I'm doing a podcast, I post a graphic and I put a little write up and yours got a lot of attention even before we've recorded And it's because a lot of the people that are listening to the podcast have already kind of heard they're, they're using the polyvagal theory. They understand it. It's not weird. Um, Tapping at certain Mm -hmm. meridian points is, Mm -hmm. has been talked about. So these concepts that I would say back maybe 10 years ago, I started learning some of these things when I first came to the U S yeah, uh, 2001. And they were weird to be talking about this stuff in schools. That's not, not anymore. Yeah. No, no, it was. I mean, that was actually, it's interesting you mentioned that year. It was the year 2001, I think. Um, I was in Australia, and that's where I was introduced to the Feldenkrais work. Wow. Uh, I was doing my master's degree, and I was recovering from a pretty severe patella fracture, knee fracture, um, and, and reconstruction of my knee joint. And my physical therapist was like, I'm not sure what to do with you. Mm-hmm. And he said, there's this guy up the, up the coast <laughs> that, <laughs> that is also a physical therapist, but he does this stuff called Feldenkrais. And I kind of was, I was so young. I was like in my mid twenties. I'm like, I'll do anything. Like right. I just can't be spending this much time doing exercises and stretching. And it was really weird back then. It was not, it was, it's kind of odd when you think it isn't that long ago. And yet so much has changed in 20 years, which makes me think the next 20 years could just be insanely incredible. Yeah. When we add this brain science to it, I think that's Mm -hmm. the exciting part. So this topic, as we've seen is such high interest. So I'm looking forward to going a little bit deeper into the area of trauma, more so so we can get a level of awareness of understanding of what trauma looks like for each person as an individual. And Mm -hmm. I've just started scratching the surface of this topic. I'm in a year long neuro coaching program. And I've just started to learn about trauma with Joseph Ledoux's work. Um, trauma, fears, anxieties, memory consolidation, what's happening in the body. And I've put a link to some of Ledoux's work so people can look at what he's saying. But he says that each person has their own anxiety level and we respond to trauma or difficult situations in different ways because our brains are one of a kind and they're wired differently. Can you explain the science of trauma? Maybe why one person could walk away completely for it from a traumatic experience with, without a scratch or a, an, an imprint, but another person, their whole life completely unravels. Like what's happening? Yeah, it's a great question. And I use this analogy a lot, so I'll, I'll teach it to you right now. Thank so you. the brain, so the first thing I'll, I'll go into is when, we, when I say nervous system, I work with that level. Um, the nervous system, there's many branches, right? There's the central nervous system, which is the brain and spinal cord. And then there's the peripheral nervous system, which is literally the periphery, which is everything that isn't the brain and spinal cord. And it comes out, all the nerves that allow me to pick up my lukewarm cup of tea. The fact that I know it's lukewarm is because the peripheral nerves feel that sends a message to my brain. It lets me know it's safe to hold it. Um, So the peripheral nervous system allows us to move and it's also our fight, flight, freeze. So that fear response that you were just mentioning, if I was to hear um, a loud bang outside my house or if a bird was to fly into my window, which is right here, I would startle. You would probably hear it. The people listening might be like, what was that in my house? Where was that? 
So there is a part of that peripheral nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. And that's what gives us that, that startle or that, oh, I don't want to, you know, protect my head or run from danger or I can't get out of this. I better shut down and go into kind of a shock state, mm -hmm. right? And so I need to put those pieces in to talk about that next piece that you wanted to learn about. Um, the other thing that's interesting is that that autonomic nervous system that does the fight, flight, freeze mechanisms, it also is what governs our digestion and our cardiovascular capacities and our hormones and our reproductive organs and our insulin and our, all this stuff, you know, is what that um, governs. So I take a sip of this tea. I don't have to think about opening up my esophagus my food tube, my stomach knows what to do. The blood takes out the, the hydration if I'm dehydrated and then it pees it out if it doesn't need it. So that's like greatly automatic, thank God, because if we didn't have to, you know, imagine if we had to think about all that stuff. So trauma is in my definition and from what I've learned, what gets stuck in the system and causes that fight, flight, freeze to get out of whack or dysregulated is the more common technical term mm -hmm. something scary that occurs to us that we either know is scary or we feel perceived as danger threat something's not right something bad is happening to me and we don't have to make cognitive sense of it mm -hmm. right because a child an infant can become traumatized without knowing what's happening to it mm -hmm. and this is a kind of a weird thing that we finally realize is that, well, babies actually do feel pain. They do know when something's not right. If anything, they know better than us, the adults who've been conditioned, right, to just block it all out and pretend nothing is there. Mm. So to answer the question, why does someone walk away scotch-free and one person doesn't? If you think about a car accident, it's a very simple example to give. Someone might get into a fender bender that's really simple, like five miles per hour, no real scratch, no broken bones, no blood is drawn, everyone stays alert, no one goes unconscious. Person A will walk away, totally fine. They might have a little bit of a, you know, an ache in their neck because they were looking the wrong way or the seatbelt got them, but their life is fine. They have no trouble driving the next day. Everything's fine. Digestion stays fine. Person B, imagine they're in the same accident. Maybe they're sitting in the same car, the minor fender bender, nothing is broken, no blood, no shock, but they walk away and their whole life just falls apart. Wow. They're terrified to get back in a car. Mm -hmm. Slowly, they don't want to leave the house because they're afraid something's going to hit them. Their digestion starts to go wacky. They can't sleep or maybe all they want to do is sleep. Mm -hmm. um, a female, their reproductive, you know, menstruation might go totally out of crazy, crazies immune system goes into weird spots. And so this is a real thing. Like I've worked with people who have had very minor, minor things happen and then everything unravels. And so they come to you, say a practitioner wanting to work on this car accident. And the moment you meet them and you start asking questions, you start to realize that they were actually already living in a traumatized state wow. before that, but they didn't know it. Mm -hmm. because we've become so accustomed in our civilized world to just hold it in and push and override and be, I would call we call it functionally frozen. So shut down, but very high functioning. Mm -hmm. And this is all too common, especially in the entrepreneurial world, especially in the academic world, any world that's like got to push it, burn it on both ends. Mm -hmm. And so when you get that person B who had this minor accident, um, I have a cup of water here for my prop. Imagine this cup of water is like full, full. And if I tried to pour my tea into this, it would go all over my desk, right? It'd be a mess. So that person B was walking around with a full system with so much fight, flight, freeze energy, but it became so normal to them that they don't know that there's any other way of living. Got it. And so that accident is like me pouring the tea into their cup and everything just, you know, and what we ha what we'll see is if we start to ask them questions about their history, 
surgeries, born premature, um, parents that were always fighting, parents that were divorced, parents who were drug addicts, alcoholics, workaholics were never there, were always dropped off at the neighbors and just left. Um, doesn't have to be abuse that's of the physical, sexual, or emotional variety. It can be that, but it can just be general neglect, general living in our Western society, going and not understanding that as a human, when we are brought into this world, we are immature emotionally and physiologically. We don't know how to self-regulate, mm -hmm. right? It's not like some animals in the wild, they pop up little turtles and they just know how to run into the ocean and everything's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not like that, that we're not like that. We have parts of those nervous systems, but just like um, a kitten or a puppy, if you've ever had a kitten or a puppy, you can't leave those animals alone in a dark room. Right. You can't leave them to cry themselves to sleep. They will, they will, they will whine and cry until you go to them. And so the human infant, the infant needs that love. It needs not more than love. It needs connection. It needs what's called attunement. It needs what's called secure attachment where it knows if I cry, someone's there to help me regulate to help me downregulate my fear of I'm cold, I'm hungry, I have gas in my belly, I have a fever, whatever it might be. If we don't get that and get it constantly and continually in the first three years of life, those are the most important few years, mm -hmm. um, we, we develop into what we would call um, a dysregulation of the nervous system. So humans are also very robust and we're also very able to go and push even with that dysregulation youth will will be on our side our immune system will just be a bit stronger when we're younger and what happens is let's just say that little one grows into a child they learn how to hold in their emotions they don't know how to self-regulate or they do it with various behaviors addictions being a good little girl, a good little boy, never rocking the boat, but everything's being suppressed. Everything's filling up that cup, right? Then that accident, that breakup with my first, you know, the first boyfriend, girlfriend, um, dog dying, parent dying, um, you know, natural disaster, hurricane, earthquake, something that's big that shocks that person out of that kind of sleep state, that freeze state. And then that's how the system just breaks down. It's like it can't keep it all together anymore. And so that dysregulation in the nervous system, while it looks like it happened at the onset of that, say, car accident, it actually was built into the system from day one. Wow. So I'm thinking about this, trying yeah. to apply it. And it could be at any age that we've not learned this. We've got our students sitting in the classrooms that are full, yes. that are stressed. Yes. We've got our employees in the workplaces that have no more room left for anything else. Nothing else, no, no more news about the pandemic. Don't tell me one <laughs> more thing. And, and then we've got people that are elderly that have not had... Oh, yeah this chance for healing never so, most have not right it's, um, it, it, i would say that historically and i'm going to be very general here so generalization alert i would say there's very few people who have gone to that end of life and have passed who have actually truly actualized and learned to process the old traumas most people, we just assume in our society, Andrea, we die of heart attack, we die of cancer, we die of dementia, Alzheimer's, um, infection, ex, you know, hormonal problems, diabetes, whatever it, whatever it is. We, that's become kind of the norm, like, oh, oh, well, how did they die? And we just assume it's some kind of illness. And, and we could get into some of the research around that if you want. But, you know, if you go to some tribal cultures or, or where there's just a bit more community and goodness and ritual, dancing, singing, tribal connection, getting, you know, we would call it uh, shamanic kind of worlds where we're getting this, the, the energy out, we're healing with the earth, we're eating good foods, all of that. Um, 
there's more stories that they just died in their sleep. They were great yesterday and they just didn't wake up. Right. To me, to me, that's a perfect way to go. It's like everything's healthy, life is good. And then, you know, I even get tingles in my head thinking about that. It's like that would be a beautiful way, not the struggle to try to, you know, fight these problems. And we know from the research that when that early stress, we would call it adversity, was really rampant and high, there is a strong, very strong connection with um, illness later in life. And it doesn't have to be old age. It's like just later in life. Um, we know that through something called the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, that is not just one study. It's been proven and shown in meta-analysis all around the Western world. It's not something just um, uh, in North America, but all over. So I kind of went off a bit, a bit of a tangent there. But, um, yeah, but you actually tied it into my next question. Oh, great. Because uh, you said at some point, on, I was looking through your About Me section, and you said you learned from Stephen Hoskinson that pretty much all chronic and mental illness conditions that affect our thinking, feeling, mood, and behavior can be connected to dysregulation of the nervous system mm -hmm. and unresolved traumatic stress. So mm -hmm. isn't that just what we were talking about? That's this it. Yeah. Yeah. And Steve, he was, he was uh, my teacher when I was learning somatic experiencing and he was basically um, displaying the research connected with the science that shows when that fight flight that I mentioned, mm -hmm. when it is on and when there's um, a coupling of also the freeze response, which is what shuts us down from feeling the intense fight flight. Right. So like, let's just say I was attacked when I was young, multiple times. I wasn't, but let's, that happens to people that are attacked. They're in an environment where their children, they really can't run. They can't fight because they're too small. Mm -hmm. So they shut down, they numb out what they're feeling in their body. And this is very common for um, survivors of sexual abuse and, and physical attack and even emotional, right? Mm -hmm. emotional verbal abuse, it actually portrays exactly the same in the body. Wow. Right. It's like, I can't fight. I don't want to, I can't get out of this. Um, I'm going to shut down. But under that is all that fight flight energy. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been released. And so we take that knowing we've got fight, flight, freeze, mixing in the system, what we've seen. And, and this is, from say the polyvagal theory and understanding how that works. Um, and then the ACE study that shows the research right. when those two or three things are on, it's like having the gas on a car and the brake on at the same time. If you've ever driven a, an automatic car and you still have your e-brake on, you tell something's not right, right? Right. right. It starts to make a sound. It, it grinds the systems like that. So if you've got those survival energies running 24 seven, Remember how I said at the beginning that that autonomic system, nervous system, the fight, flight, freeze, it also governs the digestion, the immune system, the cardiovascular system, the hormonal system. So you have two responsibilities of that autonomic nervous system. If it is so focused on fight, flight, freeze, that means that that is going to inevitably impact the other part of the, the, the other part of the system that needs to have good digestion, cell repair, mm -hmm. immune enhancing functions, gut health, right? Hormonal secretion at the right time. But when you've got this chaos going on, the signals that go to release the digestive juices, to release XYZ, I mean, all there's billions of things going on in the cells, it gets dysregulated. And so that is how over time, that early adversity starts to trickle out into the physical, physiological, but also psychological systems. Make sense? It does. And, okay. and it's deep, which is why yeah. you have your 21 day nervous system <laughs> yeah. tune up, right? Yes. Um, I was, I was looking at it, but um, on the, in this course, you take someone who's got a sick nervous system with emotional mm -hmm. symptoms like depression, anxiety, stress, mm 
mm-hmm. fatigue, immune system troubles that you've just been talking about, to a healthy nervous system, improving sleep, boosting immunity, energy levels, and regulating gut health. Can you just give a couple of things yeah. that people would learn? We'll put the links in there. If someone want, knows that they've got this, yeah. they're not doing okay, um, what else can they do yeah. to help themselves out? Yeah, so the 21-day uh, nervous system tune-up, it was actually curated from my longer 12-week program, which, called, which is called Smart Body, Smart Mind. Got it. So I'm gonna, I'll speak kind of collectively to those two <laughs> online offerings. Um, the, the, the sort of the thing to understand, because this is the question that I get asked a lot. So I'm going to preload this with the question I get is, well, can this help with this? I've got limes. I have mold exposure. I have this, this rheumatoid arthritis, um, whatever. We have to understand that that autonomic nervous system, it governs all these places in the body. So that's the first number one thing to really land on. The second thing to understand is that it also governs our ability to interact with other people. Mm-hmm. This is where that polyvagal theory comes in. So my ability, like I can see you, if I started to make funny faces to you and like, you know, pull out my ears and put my fingers up my nose and do funny things, you would, you know, you're already kind of laughing a little bit. Right. You can see that I'm making fun. Mm-hmm. Um, that social engagement is super important for how we parent, how we are in relationship, how we know if the store clerk checkout person isn't in a good mood that day, so you don't try to talk to them, you just let them be, mm-hmm. right? Those recognition cues are so important. That fight, flight, freeze, if that is on, that ability to socially interact is gonna be dulled down. Mm-hmm. So that's another important thing to understand. Um, and then of course, the other thing is that when we are in that high alert and not able to socially engage, our immune system is depressed and then that influences everything. So one of the primary things when you start the learning is to understand those deep levels of how that parasympathetic system works. That's the vagus nerve, how the sympathetic system works, how we're wired when we're young. So I go way deeper into the primary wiring of the nervous system. Um, We get into things that are called procedural memories, declarative memories. So when I made that example of a ball's coming to me or a bird's coming to me, I might cover my head or if I see something I don't wanna see, I might wanna close my eyes or if someone's attacking me, I might wanna hit them and push them away. But if that gets stored and I can't, the system is going to keep that inside. And so within these courses we teach and I talk through the video trainings, what all these stored memories are that aren't just in the brain, they're in the somatic system, they're in the muscles, they're in the tissues wanting to express. Mm -hmm. And so the course to 21 days gets into the base level through um, a video training that I call the biology of stress series. It's a five video training. And then the, practical are what I call neurosensory exercises. And so that is a blend of relearning how to sense the internal body, but also most importantly, the external, how to learn how to reorient to the here and now, because when we've had unsafe things happen to us, mom and dad hated each other, they were always fighting, all the things that occur for us to shut down the environment, we actually have to spark up our capacity to be with the environment. This is one of the things that's left out in a lot of mind-body meditation mindfulness pieces. Mm-hmm. There's a lot focused on the mind and body, and that's very important. But we have to realize that we're sitting in an environment mm-hmm. that deserves attention. And so a lot of these neurosensory exercises are internal, but the real juice is when you connect the internal with the external and you feel how the external influences the internal. Um, Also within the programs or the the, the 21 day course, we get into some simple movement patterns to kind of wake up the pelvis, the spine, the areas that tend to freeze and go tight and get armored when we are in an environment that is unsafe, right? So we we will literally create armor by, by hardening our fascia our muscles, our bone, 
And then that actually impacts the organs. The organs need to be juicy and and glidy and move, right? And so if we're constantly holding our breath or if we're constantly in a shutdown and freezing um, or we're always like protecting, you know, that kind of barreled chestness that we see in a lot of people, shoulders that are up, that is there because that person is most likely unconsciously holding this armor and this like plate of gold around them or silver or what have you. So the 21 days gets into the basics and then smart body, smart mind, which we only run once a year in the spring or the late winter that gets into what I've just said and a way deeper dive into working with the adrenals, the kidneys, the gut, the heart space, the brain stem touch way more movement, way more Feldenkrais awareness lessons. Um, we get into sound creating sounds that stimulate the vagus nerve. Um, and then there's a lot more, training i do lectures q a calls i mean it's just it's a pretty comprehensive program that dives into so much so and in a nutshell those are the courses well they're they're wonderful do they both touch on the polyvagal theory yeah okay yeah so there's a it's weird so polyvagal theory is nothing more than how the how the nervous systems interact with each other got it Polyvagal is there because the parasympathetic nervous system, which is one of the branches of the autonomic nervous system, is the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve is one of our cranial nerves, and that means it's a nerve that comes out of the brain, and it comes out of the brain and it goes down around the brain stem. One branch goes below the diaphragm, and the other branch goes above the diaphragm. So poly basically just means many vagi, vagus nerves. And so the way that that is, or the reason that's important is you have to understand the fight, flight, freeze, and also that social engagement, right? So when our system goes into threat, there's like a, how shall I say, there's like a domino effect of us unconsciously through the autonomic nervous system doing the things to protect mm. or to find safety. So if I, you know, trip and fall walking down the street and there's a car coming, I'm not just going to lay there and cry and swear and like feel the pain. I'm going to jump out of the way, hopefully to, to not get hit. So my sympathetic is going to pop up that fight flight but then when I get onto the sidewalk and let's just say uh, my neighbor comes by and let's just say they're really kind and they are like, Irene, are you okay? You know, I'm here. Do you want me to get your husband? That social engagement, that's part of the ventral, the, the fancy word, the ventral aspect of the, of the vagus nerve, the part that goes to the face, the part that's above the diaphragm. It's also the part that goes to the heart. So that ventral attaches or it connects to what's called the pacemaker of the heart. And so by hearing or seeing a soothing person, that's actually going to help me come out of that fight flight. Oh, how interesting. I'm and just tying this into so many different situations. Yes. Like I was out jogging the other day and witnessed a car crash. And it was a, a young girl, a 16-year-old, probably looking at her phone from what I can see happened. Yeah. And I just was, you know, just basic lifeguarding skills from yeah. back when I was young. I went yeah. and, you know, now it's coronavirus. You're not supposed to touch the person, but I helped her find her glasses and talk mm -hmm. to her. Just all those skills you used to do on basic rescuing yeah. of somebody. And now yeah. I can see how it ties into yeah. her nervous system, which I never thought about at well, all. And by, yeah, by you being there and being calm and caring and not worrying about getting sick from her just like i need like you're being a human you're being an empathetic mature emotionally regulated human by giving her that connection that social engagement it's allowing her fight flight to decrease and her parasympathetic healing pieces to increase and it's possible that that little interaction is going to help her not get PTSD afterwards. Wow. If yeah. you flip it, if someone had found her who was freaking out, 
mm-hmm. and didn't know how to handle it, she's going to stay in that fight flight. And if she realizes that mom or her friend or the usually first responders are pretty good, I'll give them that. Right. Or the passerby was frantic. That is going to put her into a shutdown because yeah. she's going to just realize I can't handle this. I'm dealing with this car accident. She will actually disorient, disconnect from her environment. She'll disconnect from herself. Maybe she'll drive home and then she's at more risk because she's disconnected from the world and from her feelings and her sensations. Yeah. So no, you're a hundred percent that care is so important because we need that as humans to just know that we're okay. Right. And it's just such a weird world these days because she hit a back of a landscaping truck and the landscapers didn't speak English. And Uh so nobody was talking to her. And, you know, that's just how it is these days. Everybody kind of keeps their head down and does their own thing. Yeah. I never really thought about it on the brain level, what hap- was happening to her until you started to explain a kind, caring person. It's just what you do until mm-hmm. her parents came and they came long before the first responders came. Right. It, that 10, 15 minutes can really impact the rest of her life. I never really thought about it. Like oh, a hundred percent. And it's a hundred percent. And it's, um, it's, it's so interesting because when we have our own regulation on board, when we are healthy in our own nervous system, we don't think about what we should do. Mm. It just happens. It's, mm-hmm. it's wired into us, right? Right. And if we think about um, the, the, the little human who didn't have that, you know, imagine a little human that's like five, and I use this example all the time, and they're learning how to ride their bike as most of us have done, you know, I grew up in a time where there was no such thing as training wheels. Like you fell if you didn't get it right. Right. And how you're interacted with your primary caregiver when you feel pain for the first time will set the tone for the rest of your life. Holy. Right. If you are told to get up immediately, that you're a big girl, Mm -hmm. you can do it better. Don't cry. You're fine. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, depending on the energy of that human, the uh, adult caregiver, we will either be good, learn how to be with the discomfort and the pain and feel it and process it until it's all gone. And then we reorient or we're just going to shut it down because if I do express, I'm going to be ignored. I'm going to be ridiculed. Right. right? So that early, early thing, very complex word there, that thing yeah. It, it sets the tone and chances are if we are given love and connection and time and space and we fall off of our bike the first time just to, to cry, chances are we're going to be okay because that parent will also do the same the first time we, you know, do terrible in school mm-hmm. or we drop um, a glass on the floor and it shatters or we wet our beds, you know, all these things that kids just do. Mm-hmm. But if you have the, 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 the type of energy that is, dysregulated and it's not so much it's not that it's the parents fault but they probably weren't given that right this is how transgenerational trauma works wow it's not just um i was born in a concentration camp or i was born during 9-11 which the research shows mothers who were caring at that time even if that baby was brought into a world that was beautiful and loving that in utero stress is going to impact them So that's how things get passed on, but it can also get passed on with these very subtle, insidious things that aren't big, huge traumas, things like not allowing ourselves to express and um, be human animals with emotions and sensations. And I wanted to put that in there because a lot of people hear the word trauma and they immediately, you know, go through their mind. Oh, no, no, I was never raped. I was never abused. I wasn't born in a war-torn country and parents didn't scream. It's like, well, that's great. And then there's this other thing called social engineering and conditioning that has completely robbed the human of their organic essence, so to speak. Okay. And it's usually that way because the mama and the papa were also treated that way. And so what's cool is that we're seeing, or I'm seeing younger people 
are kind of fed up with that. Like they're like, no, I'm not going to pretend that this is okay. This right. is not okay. Right. Right. So it's, it's interesting to see the, the tides turning slowly, slowly. Oh, this is powerful information. And I really wish that, you know, when, when my children were young, I was just starting to get into this. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's helpful for parents to think about all the things you're saying. Cause imagine if you're saying all this stuff and, and I had yelled at my kids, I'd be feeling pretty guilty when they drop their milk. But, you know, I know my parents didn't have this training. No. So I'm like, whatever, you spill your milk, let's clean it up. It is yeah. what it is, is normally yeah. what I say. It's, well, that's how you then teach a little one how to clean. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a very, it doesn't have to be a, an event. It's just like, this happens. Mm-hmm. And, and it helps. And it, what's interesting is when you are around kids who didn't have that calm, no big deal, let's just clean it up, you know, be careful if there's glass but not in a toxic shaming way. But when you are with kids who were dosed out that kind of toxic verbal abuse, you know, immediately because they freeze, they, they break a glass when they're over at your house or something like that. And that you see them go into this cascade of survival energy. Mm. It's just a broken glass of milk. Right. But it depends on how you were treated. And even the adults, I mean, my, my ex-husband, bless his heart, he's still alive, we're not together, but he was the kid that I, I'm pretty sure when he broke something, he was scolded mm. because when he would break something in our kitchen, he would scream, he would shout, mm. not at me, mm-hmm. but at himself for being such an idiot. Right. And it's just, it broke my heart. It's like, I break something like, damn, now I got to clean this up, you know, but right. like, whatever, now I've got to buy another wine glass, you know, those sorts of things that you just... It's like, whatever, but how you were treated will carry with you. And I don't think many people, until they hear this information, have ever stopped to consider how even their self-talk was influenced by what occurred when they were really young. Wow. Yeah. It is is powerful for us to all learn this. And and I just have to take you back to your dissertation. I didn't read all 165 pages. Oh, I hope you didn't. (laughs) But I, of course, I had to look at it. When were you in Australia? Was it 2008? I was there 2000 and 2001. That's when I did my my actual research. Um, And then I went back in 2008 to write because I wasn't having much success trying to write while also living a life and working. Got it. So I, I, when I realized this is never going to happen when I'm here, I went back to Australia and back to the university, just got into that mode for two months. And I wrote that very long dissertation. Well, it was thorough. I loved it. I uh-huh. loved it at all the table of contents just to kind of get an idea. Yeah. And it's interesting because what you were writing on is kind of where our podcast has ended up. We're right now just kind of ending up on health and anti-aging strategies uh, that have gone yes. pretty deep. And you quote the statistic that in 2030, 70 million people in the US will be 65 years and older what would you say would be the top three health staples that you found to be crucial for longevity, mental health, and well-being from your study? Well, that study was before I got into any of the stuff we've talked about today. So what's interesting is that um, that study was looking at older adults and high-intensity weight training, so push and lead, basically. And it was so conclusive in the research, Andrea, that you have to keep your muscle mass. Yes. And even people who were marathon runners compared to the weight trainers in older age, the weight trainers had healthier blood chemistries, bodies. So even because we're all like, everyone's like, oh, they're a marathon runner. They must be so healthy and fit. And we need aerobic fitness, mm-hmm. but we need to maintain our muscle mass because our muscle mass not only um, keeps our metabolism up, it also helps with blood glucose um, balance. 
And it allows us the ability to keep sitting on the toilet or walking upstairs or catching ourselves when we're about to fall. And so what was really clear when I looked at my, when I did my literature review and I looked at the people really leading the way back then, um, I mean, the, some of the first research was in like 1994, I think. Um, the one woman, her name was, her name is, she's still alive, Maria Fiaterone. She was actually out of Sydney, She's American, moved to Sydney, Australia. She was putting like people who were on end stage renal failure and like full on uh, coronary heart failure and, or sorry, congestive heart failure, diabetes, like older people putting them through like high intensity, um, eight max reps. So basically you're fatiguing at eight repetitions, which is a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. And what happens is we've kind of told people when you get older, you got to slow down go for that gentle walk. And I see it at my local Y. I mean, not now with COVID and all that, but before, you know, you'd see the oldies doing their, 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 you know, one pound weights and their movements. And it's good because they're in social connection. They're, they're with people, but it ain't doing a lot mm -hmm. for the physiology. I would rather see that, that 65 year old, it's not, it's not even old these days, like that 75 year old granny sitting on the leg press, pushing a hundred pounds mm. because it's going to activate the hormones in the body to not only um, increase the bone density and the muscle, but it also increases the heart rate. Mm. And so there's actually an aerobic enhancement when we lift heavy weights because we have to get our heart going. The blood pressure goes up to push blood to the muscles to lift the heavy weight. So I always say one of the main things, if you haven't, start lifting weights. Learn how to do it. Don't just go and like push 100 pounds the first day. Mm -hmm. You know, go to a, learn from a trainer, mm -hmm. do some, you know, and you usually have to go somewhere to access that kind of heaviness. You can't do it at home just with body weight. Um, you can do some stuff, but not everything. Right. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing would be obviously work with your nervous system. Okay. Um, and again, you know, when you're in the older categories, it might seem like, oh, well, that trauma was so long ago. It's not impacting me anymore. Yes, it is. Mm. If, that, if that death of a child, if that, you know, car accident where you almost thought you were going to lose your leg, if that time you were screamed at, by your fourth grade teacher is still fresh in your mind. If you knew that you were neglected and you didn't get to cry when you wanted to cry, that stuff's inside. And um, it really is the person's decision to decide to start unpacking those things. Mm -hmm. But in my courses, we've had people from, um, you know, young twenties to eighties doing this work. And the people who are older will always say, I wish I had known this. 10 years ago, right. but I'm glad I'm at least doing it now because the life, the world is a little more colorful because mm -hmm. when we hold that stuff in, things get dulled, right? We might not feel the pain, but then we're not going to have the capacity to feel the deep, deep joy and beauty that's around us when we have that fight, flight, freeze kind of masking us and kind of weighing on us. So lift weights, <laughs> work on the nervous system. Um, what would be another one? You said three. You asked for three, right? Um, I would just some health staples, things that you think from everything. I mean, yeah, I would. I, I mean, I also studied nutrition. I mean, that study was also a nutrition-based study. We looked at protein, specifically red meat, in it. Um, but um, I know, due to my work, that import. It's so important to eat well. Mm -hmm. Obviously. And it's almost so common knowledge right now. It's not really something I teach or talk about, but the importance of healthy whole food mm -hmm. and eating a lot of different kinds of healthy whole foods. I used to be less sticky about organic stuff, but the more I'm seeing the toxic load on the body due to pesticides, chemicals, all the preservatives, I'm starting to make a change in how I state that. I mean, if someone can't afford it, then at least eat whole food right. that isn't packaged. But if you can eat things that have less crap in them, basically yeah. do it. 
Um, and then the, the other thing with food that is super important is making sure you're having healthy fat. Yeah. And that's been something that we are still recovering from the research that was false back in the 50s, basically saying that um, we need to eat vegetable fats to lower heart disease. And it's completely wrong, right? That margarine is better than butter. Mm-hmm. All these poly oils are good. And it's like, uh, we just, we're still cleaning that up. Um, and so healthy fats, lots of good omega-3s, little bits of sixes, avoid all trans fat, any fat that's in a package. If, you, if a cracker can live in a package for more than a few months, chances are it's got the kind of fat that isn't good in it. Like you got to be very careful with that stuff. Yeah. Well, this has been so helpful, Irene. I want to thank you so much for your time and knowledge today. Now more than ever, we all need to understand these strategies because it's such a challenging world out there. We've Mm -hmm. got to be intentional about our mental health and well-being. If people want to learn more about your courses, they can go to irenelion.com, L-Y-O-N, or visit your YouTube channel. You've got thousands of people following you over there already. Mm -hmm. Your videos are very in-depth. So I put all the links in the show notes. Are these the best places you'd say? Is there any other social media that you are on? Yeah, I would say YouTube is probably the most visited channel. Um, We put everything on our site as well under the blog um, feature. So whenever I do put out a new video, Um, I write usually a tiny mini article to go with it just to explain it. Um, So I always prefer, you know, I always say to people, go to my site to find that stuff. Um, I'm on Instagram, you know, I do a little more funner things on that. Um, And let's see what else. Twitter, do some fun quotes over there. We're on Facebook. We have a pretty uh, robust Facebook group called Healthy Nervous System Revolution. So that group has been around for about five, six years. We have a good membership in there. And obviously it's free. You just have to tell us why you want to be in it. And my team are in there answering questions. So if there's a question that someone has um, and they're not ready yet to go into one of the courses, that's actually a great group because we have a general question thread. And if you have a question about something you've watched on a video you can put it in there. Um, we also answer questions um, under YouTube. So I have two of my two of my elves in there who are trained and do the work I do who answer questions. So that is YouTube, Facebook, the site, and the courses. Those are really the main places. Wonderful. Well, just yeah. some final thoughts to wrap this all up for this topic of trauma and mental health and the brain. What would you just say to close out you'd like our listeners to think mm. about? I always like to say that learning is what precedes the healing. So there's something important about us as humans with this higher brain. We need to learn. The old way of just going to the, to the, the healer and laying on the table and praying that something will shift, I think that has a time and a place. I love a good massage. You know, I love a good craniosacral session. Nothing wrong with those things. But because of our complexity as humans, because we've all been raised a little differently, even within the same family system, it's not like a family of goats. They're all going to be pretty much treated the same way we're a little more complex so learn like really understand the education the science how the physiology works um because when you do you start to have really that power of knowing what to do and of course practicing rewiring the system the one thing we didn't mention and i will mention andrea is that um if we didn't have a good early upbringing and we didn't get that good regulation and you're here watching this, you can heal that, you can change that, you can rewire, you can learn to bring regulation back into your system at any age, but it comes down to the curiosity. I can't do the work for you, my colleagues can't do the work for you. We can be the catalyst and give you the information, but it's like the language thing we, we said at the beginning of our talk. To learn the Spanish, I can't do that for you, Andrea. You're going to have to take those tapes out and start listening and learning how to write and watching Spanish television shows and 
right? You got to have that impulse to do it. Right. So the impulse to do it is super important. And then the one thing I will say, because some people who are trapped in this trauma stuff, they might not have the impulse, which is very common. And so what I will say is that know that your birthright is to be healthy. And if you weren't given it, I'm, you know, that sucks. Mm -hmm. And free will is very important. So if you know that you want to change and grow, and as I mentioned, just go away peacefully in your sleep one day and just, you know, do whatever you do when that happens, the nervous system work is super important. It just, it, it can't be done without us actively going into it and learning and doing the work. So that would be my long-winded final few words. Well, I love it because it's yeah. all work. Everything that we're doing here is work. Whether we're mm -hmm. researching something to get a different outcome, it takes work it to get a different result. So it does. Yay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.